kicking off the second hour on the Ken Miller Show with Trent Condon, 1700 KBGG. Earlier today, Kirk Ferentz talked with the media. Here is that press conference from Big Ten Football Media Days. Here's Kirk Ferentz. Good morning, everybody. Uh, certainly, you know, looking forward to uh, getting back on the field with our team next Friday. Um, always anxious for that, so uh, we're at that point. I think the team's had a really good summer thus far. Uh, they'll finish up this week, take a break, needed break, and then hopefully come in fresh for uh, to start the next phase of our preparation. And thus far, the 2018 team's been a really uh, good group to work with. I think they've handled every phase uh, of the program pretty well and certainly have the potential to be a good football team. So really what's important now is finishing up this week in good fashion and then having a great uh, preseason camp. And like any team, that's a really important thing. Uh, just looking backward for one second, we had some really rewarding moments last year and Probably the biggest thing I would uh, note, you know, for this team moving forward, uh, if we're going to take another step, it's all about consistency for us. So we've got to find a way to play with more consistency and see what we can do on that that front. Uh, Roster-wise, you know, just uh, if you look at the losses, the most obvious loss would be our linebacker core last year. We had three seniors that played at a really high clip, and we also had a fourth, Kevin Ward, who is a very valuable special teams uh, player captain for us on special teams. So we lost four, four players at that position that did a really good job. Uh, Nate Budgeter was an unheralded defensive tackle, played well in our scheme. And then obviously Josh Jackson at the corner position. So uh, defensively, we've got some work to do. And then on the offensive side, um, you know, lost a couple linemen, uh, two running backs that were good players for us and uh, a receiver. So as we move forward right now, I think uh, if you look at this ball club, we're a little bit more certainly veteran of the quarterback position. Nate Stanley coming back for a second year. Uh, I think the surrounding cast, his receivers and tight ends are a better, uh, more qualified group than a year ago. Yeah, and then on the offensive line, I think we have a chance with enough experience right now to, to have a good group there. Uh, the obvious thing we're lacking is experience at running back. And, uh, but we like our players there. They just haven't played very much. And then on defense, obviously, the, the uh, big question is who's going to be our linebacker. Uh, our linebackers will be our starting linebackers and then the depth behind them. And then the secondary and the defensive line developing depth there as well. And then the other big thing is our uh, punting game was, was less than uh, stellar last year. And if we're going to have a good football team, we have to take a step forward in that direction too. So all in all, you know, we're, uh, we've had good competition, healthy competition, I think, uh, back in the spring. Expect that to uh, be even better this August with uh, guys that haven't played being you know a few months older and more experienced. Then adding a bunch of freshmen on top of that. So yeah, you know, again, it's going to be good to uh, quit talking about all this stuff and get back on the field and actually start working towards uh, towards the 18 season. So with that, I'll throw it out for for questions. Uh, Chad Lice, to Code Des Moines Register. Uh, Nate Stanley, um, a year ago at this time, competing for a job now becomes the second junior in your 20 years to. Be a Big Ten media days. What type of growth have you seen from him, and how did that happen? Yeah, I think that in itself is uh, significant. He is a second underclassman we've brought here, Josie Jewell being the other. And as far as we know, they're the only two juniors in the history of the program that have been selected captains uh, after their sophomore seasons by their team. And we have a lot of captains in December. It's a total team vote. Uh, so I think that just tells you about how far Nate came last year from being a guy that we weren't sure was going to start in August. Uh, at this time last year, we didn't know who our starter was and, and really had a good season. But most importantly, he's really uh, gained the respect and uh, confidence of his teammates. So it's great to have him back. He's worked extremely hard. And, you know, two things you can't give players are experience and confidence. And I think he's been able to certainly benefit from a year of play and looking forward to good things from him this fall. 
Scott Doctor from the Athletic. Kirk, you had a, an experienced center last year in James Daniels, who had rare athletic ability. How do you replicate what he can do, and do you have the type of player who can compete at that type of level? Yeah, really, you don't re- replicate somebody like that. I mentioned yesterday. Uh, I think my entire career, I've, I've probably been around three centers that had his kind of ability. Uh, going back to Joel Hilgenberg in the early '80s, and uh, coach a guy named Wally Williams in Baltimore and Cleveland that uh, had some freakish abilities too. So, you know, when you get a player that has those kinds of abilities, it's just really rare. Uh, the good news for James is his best football is ahead of him. He's 20 years old right now, so he's he's got a great future, a tremendous uh, athlete, but more importantly, a great great young man and uh, very intelligent. Uh, Keegan, Keegan's played a really good football for us very quietly the last couple of years. And uh, when he moved over full-time this spring, he has played that position in the past, uh, cross-trained. He, he looked totally natural there. So uh, what we're not going to have is a guy of James Daniels' athleticism. You, you probably have to go to the NFL to find that. Those guys are rare. Uh, but we've, we've got a player in Keegan that's, we think, not only a good football player, but also another uh, guy that's really respected in the program. He's a very quiet leader, but a very strong leader. And, uh, you know, that, that's important, I think, at that position. Scott Novak, Leader Publications. A lot is being made about the disparity in strength between the two divisions. What are your thoughts on that? And is the West catching up with the East finally? Yeah, yeah I, don't, I don't know about the race there, but, um, it, you know, I think the Big Ten, I've been in the league for quite a while now, 28, 29 years, something like that. And it's, it's always been a great conference. That's what I do know. Uh, the consistency of what the league stands for, what it's all about, the quality of play, the quality of coaching, uh, the competition week in and week out, uh, I think is really impressive. Uh, there, there was a time, I think, in the 80s where there were a couple of programs typically at the bottom that really had a hard time competing. But it's interesting, you know, uh, in my mind, at least over the last uh, 15, 20 years, uh, it's been extremely competitive. And, you know, really, I'm just kind of focused on the 12 games on our schedule. I don't see a game that, you know, we, we better be ready in each and every one. They're all going to be tough contests. And I think... That's really the nature of college football right now, but I think it's really accentuated in our conference. There's uh, anybody can beat anybody, so you better be ready each and every Saturday. Still time for a handful of questions. Please raise your hand. We'll have our next one, Coach, back here on the aisle toward the left. Kirk, Mark Morehouse, Mark Morehouse, Mr. Rebs Gazette. Uh, you guys, you lost a couple guys last year early to the NFL. Do you see that? kind of taken off in the NFL being maybe a little more aggressive with underclassmen or maybe even that shifting to two years in college football? Yeah, I think it's pretty much documented right now. That's a trend uh, that's that's rising. Uh, I think last year, I think, was the highest number, uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, that, that entered into the draft. And unfortunately, there are guys that enter that shouldn't enter. Uh, both of our players, you know, had, had good choices to make. And... Uh, you know, certainly one second guess and supported both their decisions. We've, we've had other guys in the past, you know, Brendan Sheriff, Desmond King, who decided to stay in for their senior years. But that, that's a decision the individual has to make, in my opinion, unless they're just getting ready to make a bad decision. And uh, we haven't had that case. And you know, to me, it's kind of interesting. Uh, you know, in James Daniels' case, James is the kind of player that we typically don't, uh, we're not able to recruit. But uh, fortunately, his brother had a good experience at our place. I think our message resonated with him. And so he came in with uh, uncommon skills and played at a very early age for us. Uh, Josh, on the other side, is a you know, pretty unique story in that uh, he was not very highly recruited out of high school and started one game going into last year, ends up being a consensus All-American and second-round draft pick. So, you know, when things like that happen, uh, they're great success stories, and just uh, I'm just happy for both those guys. They'll, they'll both do very well with their respective teams. Uh, Jay Cohen, Associated Press. What is... Uh 
Parker do that makes him successful? Parker Hesse is an, sort of an undersized defensive end in this league. And what kind of example is he kind of for the rest of your program? You know, the first word that comes to mind for me is his attitude. And uh, he caught our attention. He came to camp. He's from a smaller town in Iowa up north. And, um, you know, we liked him in camp, saw some things about him. He played quarterback and outside linebacker. And then uh, during our first bye week, two of our coaches went up and saw him compete live, and they both came back. And In fact, I talked to them. They were on their way down uh, in the car that evening, Friday night. And But both of them were very, very excited about what they saw, just his competitive nature, uh, playing quarterback and then playing defense. So, you know, we're, we're a team that uh, tends to project. We look at guys, uh, you know, that play maybe other positions. And uh, if we uh, think we find something in terms of their makeup and their competitiveness that we like, uh, we'll, we'll recruit them and then figure out where they're going to play later on. Parker grew into the, the defensive end position and, uh, you know, really got thrown into to action probably before he was ready. Drew out, had an injury, so he had to play a lot in that 15 season. And he's playing against some pretty good players, Conklin, in the title game uh, for Michigan State. Uh, but he, he competes hard. You know, that's the thing he does, and that's been a common denominator with him since he got on campus. So just talked about guys that are really respected in our program. Parker cert- certainly earned that. Everybody on our team just thinks the world of him. He's a tremendous young person and outstanding student. You know, check all the boxes. So, you know, players like that really help you, uh, you know, hopefully uh, have a chance to put a good team together. Kirk Ross Sternstrom from WWT in Omaha. Uh, talk about uh, Noah Fant. Uh, he's uh, one of the best tight ends in the country. And uh, what do you expect from him this season? Well, you know, if we have a good football team, our best guys have to play their best. That's been a common denominator throughout all the years. And uh, certainly, no, we, we consider him to be one of our best. And hopefully he'll be here next, uh, next year at this time with us. Uh, but I was hoping Josh and James would be here, too. We'll see how that all plans out, pans out. But you know, he's a tremendous young guy. We played him a little bit two years ago, just try to get him acclimated a little bit and get his feet wet. And certainly last year he had a tremendous season, really uh, took steps, not only as a receiver, but in all areas of his game. And we've seen that continued growth uh, this past spring, the work he did blocking. Uh, his attitude's great. Certainly he's more comfortable and more adept at what he's doing now because he's got some experience behind him. And uh, just, just like everything about him, he's been a tremendous guy in our program. And, uh, again, if we're going to have a good season this year, we certainly need players like Noah to have a tremendous year. And there's, I can't think of a reason why he won't other than he's going to attract attention for sure. So there was Iowa football coach Kirk Ferentz from earlier today in Chicago talking about Nate Stanley, the center position when he's talking offensive line. You're always listening. And uh, a little bit more, the divide in the East-West and some other thoughts from Kirk Ferentz. Coming up on the other side, Gary Barta, thoughts on stadium, the changing to the north end zone, beer sales in Kinnick Stadium, and a whole lot more. Iowa Athletic Director Gary Barta, he comes up next here on 1700. Welcome back as we continue on until 2 o'clock here today, then on your drive home, Jimmy B and TC. Be with you from 4 until 5 o'clock today before high school baseball. It's a state tournament and play-by-play with Carlisle against Waverly Shell Rock straight up 5 o'clock today. Before that, Adam Kramer is going to stop by some college football talk. We'll be hearing from him on Jimmy B and TC. But right now, we have Gary Barta from earlier today. A lot of interesting talk about the stadium, what happened with the North End Zone, the reduction in seating, under 70000 now, down to 69000 and change. He gets into that, beer sales at Kinnick Stadium, and a whole lot more. Here it is, Gary Barta, the Iowa Athletic Director. He starts with thoughts on the new North End Zone at Kinnick Stadium. It's truly guys closing that North End Zone. Uh, the club, club area is going to be uh, fantastic. And really, you might recall when we first set out, it was all about trying to uh, improve the fan experience. 
know, more leg room, more seat room, uh, more restrooms, more concession stands. So in year one, uh, we're just going to ask for a little patience. The seats will be in. Uh, you'll be able to sit and watch the game. The good news is uh, they're, they're selling really well. The club is virtually sold out. There's a few left. Uh, the, the Ironman boxes are long sold out. So it's, it's going to be a great experience, but in year one, patience uh, is going to be the virtue because restrooms and concession stands will be temporary. Uh, but uh, we're, I'm really excited. I think the sound is going to be louder. Uh, it's just going to feel more closed in. And, uh, you know, the icing on the cake is we got a Tiger Hawk on the, uh, on the water tower. So all, all is good so far. Gary, multiple players from opposing teams have said Kinnick is the toughest environment they've ever played in because of how close the fans are. Do you expect this to even improve with this North End? Don't make that even more of a I've heard that, and uh, I've heard people say that a lot over the years. I, I still start with one of the reasons it's one of the toughest places to play is because our fans are so passionate, so loyal, so loud. But they're also right on top of the field. And if you notice, uh, if you've been out to the, the north end zone, uh, we took the shift and went from about this to this. So it's just closer and it's higher. And so, yeah, I think it's going to add to an already historic uh, experience. So when are you going to do that with the south end zone? South end zone? We, 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 we already renovated Joe, the south end I, I think that'll be the next athletic director's job. <laughs> and so, the next sports writer's job. 70,000 was a big number for you guys. I think I saw 69-2-something was the official capacity. Now, how difficult was it to bite that bullet? Starting out, you know, there's there, there was some sense of uh, wanting to stay at 70 just because it's a nice round number. I think, you know, from a round number standpoint, we can still say 70, but you're right, it dips slightly below. I think a couple of things. One, uh, it at the end of the day, it was more important that the fan experience was improved, so having to go down a little bit uh, was worth the exchange for the fan experience. Uh, number two, um, it's, we'll still be able to uh, remain in the top 25 in attendance in the country. That was important to me. And then finally, I had a meeting with, uh, with the uh, stadium architects. The two corners on the south end zone, if we ever want to or need to expand, there's a, there's a logical way to create more seats in the south corners. Again, that's not uh, probably going to be in my tenure, but it is something that's available if we need it. I, I think um, you know, fan experience is going to be better, and if we get to the point where every ticket is sold and, and we need to expand, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. Do you guys have the, I know the tax thing has changed things and the donations. Have you guys started to feel that yet? I think nationally, uh, we're all starting to, you know, trying to figure it out so far. Right. Uh, knock on wood, uh, the, the numbers still look great. Uh, fans are still contributing at a high rate. Uh, ticket sales are ahead of where they were a year ago. So the enthusiasm's there. Uh, I do. I do think over time it'll it'll just we'll have to figure out right. how. Right now, fans are just trying to figure out how to make the adjustment. We're trying to figure out how to make the adjustment. Mm -hmm. But in the short run, fortunately, our fan base is still all in. Were there any agreements reached yesterday with with the ADs regarding future scheduling and more rotation? First of all, rather than good team versus good team, and second of all, regarding the future of the Black Friday games. Right? So we're getting very close. Uh, we had good discussions about it. Uh, to your point, you know, how do we best move forward in terms of matchups and West and East and uh, the crossover games? Uh, we're very close to finalizing the announcement. Um, I'm, I'm not the one that's going to make it. Uh, I'll let uh, Commissioner Delaney make that announcement when the time is right. Uh, but I, I feel good about the future, and, and uh, as you've heard, the Nebraska game is something that we've always, Kirk and I have always been interested in, in continuing. 
I think the new regime um, at Nebraska is interested, so it looks like that's a good possibility, but uh, again, we'll have to wait and see when, when that gets finalized. There was a lot of talk yesterday about the perceived imbalance between the East and the West. Is that something that ever comes up when, when the ADs sit down and talk? The, the answer to your direct question about does it come up when the ADs talk, the answer is no. Um, you know, I know every year when I look at our schedule, and we did talk about what those future schedules would look like, uh, we're, we're going to have uh, challenging teams in front of us. Uh, I look right now at our opening game in the Big Ten. Wisconsin's going to be one of the best teams in the country, and that's who we open against. You know, go down the list of all the people, as Kirk said just a moment ago, there's not a team on there uh, that we look past. And so uh, I really don't concern myself. And at the end of the day, because we have a championship game uh, at the end of the season, uh, the two best teams in each division get a chance to square off. And so, no, I, it's not something I dwell on or think about because I know I'm going to have to play a lot of the teams. We're going to have to play a lot of the teams across the division. And our own division uh, is tough enough to, you know, to start with. When you go to the table for the scheduling topic, what do you advocate for, Brian? What type of schedule do you guys want to see? In that area, I really, uh, I don't advocate uh, for anything in particular. Uh, again, I know what the West is made up of, so I know what we're going to face in the West. Uh, I do like the discussion of a good rotation through the, the other side of the division. So I'm, I'm real comfortable with the discussions we've been having. and. Uh, that person just lost their job. <laughs> the uh, the crossover, uh, the competitiveness of the crossover, I'm comfortable with where we're headed so far. Like, I mean, you guys played Penn State six straight years, for example. Is that something, is that a good arrangement for you guys? Or you know, what I like about, the, what we've been talking about is there are going to be some, some uh, unique uh, matchups because of the fact that we don't have an even number, exact even number. But what I like about it is it's going to be random. It's not going to be somehow, you know, taking our our school and, and Penn State or you know some other matchup and saying that's what's going to happen. We're we're going to do it in more of a random crossover okay. nature. And so if it does happen, uh, it'll be fair, uh, the the most fair way to do it. So there's no reason to advocate for a particular team. It's really just making sure the process is as fair as it can be. And I feel good about that. What about the notion? So, so we, you know, we, we had the legends leaders. We had, the, you know, we've tried different things. Here's what selfishly at Iowa, I like. I like playing all of our border schools. I like playing Minnesota and Nebraska and Northwestern and Illinois. And you know, I'm going to miss somebody in there, but you get my point. I like for our fans. I think it creates more energy and excitement. So. Selfishly, uh, I like the fact that we have an East-West and uh, Wisconsin. I left them out. Uh, maybe that was a faux pas because I don't want to have to face them the first game. But uh, you know, I, I like that for our fans. I like the energy and that it brings to college football for us uh, regionally. And then the crossover games are great. You know, Kinnick Stadium against Penn State and Ohio State last year was was magical. Even though we won one and lost one, the, the environment for college football. Is so I like the way it is, um, and some of that selfish. Yeah. So are you saying that the, after 2021, that the consistent crossover opponent that's going away? No, I didn't say that. Okay. I say we've come up with a system that I that I think okay. has a combination of matchups and, and randomness that that I think. Um, and again, I'm not going to not going to go into detail, but uh, I like the way we we ended up, where we ended up, and how it's going to be going forward. Maybe after they're announced, I can. You know, share with you more of the, the breakdown, but I like the way I like the way we come at it, uh, and we, we we're going to go about. It. We'll push that reexamination. 
just you know when you do deal with scheduling, literally, uh, I think I think one of our schedulers said there was more than a billion uh, possibilities combinations. So you're looking at you know what are some of the what are some of the principles and parameters? You know, not having more than two games on the road in a row or those types of things. It just it just takes so much to get what's the most fair uh, to the most people and the most competitive uh, equity. And again, it's never going to be perfect uh, because of the number of teams we have. But I really like where, where we're headed and where we're heading. So it's just good common sense discussions about what's the best way to move forward. Did the previous Nebraska regime just call you and say we're not going to play the Black Friday? Oh, no. No, it wasn't like that. It was just ongoing discussions about you know what they thought they wanted, what they thought was best. Uh, we had good discussions back and forth. We kind of landed on a compromise where we were going to uh, you know, wherever the home game was, that, that school would be able to decide if it was on the Friday or the Saturday. That was kind of our compromise uh, in the interim. And uh, in the meantime, you know, the schedules had to be set. So that ended up getting rotated. And now, you know, from 22 on, we're going to rotate it again. So it wasn't a, you know, a, um, an ultimatum. It was just a discussion about, you know, going forward, uh, what are we going to do? Hearing from Gary Barta earlier today at Big Ten Football Media Day is the Iowa Athletic Director. Up next, a little talk on beer and alcohol sales at Kinnick Stadium. Ten years ago, would have been uh, considered off the table completely. Uh, I, it's something that, again, fan experience. What's going to give our fans the best experience? One of the things we work hard and we've worked hard at, and I think we've had better success, is... Uh, the environment in and around Kinnick Stadium related to the use of alcohol is better today than it was 10 or 15 years ago. Uh, we have less arrests. We have less issues in the stadium. We're kicking fewer people out. That's a starting point. That's awesome. Uh, what happens going forward if the country continues to see schools uh, adding the sale of alcohol? We won't be the first. We probably won't be the last to do it. I'm not, you know, this isn't breaking news. Uh, we're not, uh, we don't have plans to do it. If we do it at some point, it's going to be primarily motivated by fan experience and not some sort of ability to make more money. Making, we would see an uptick in, in resources and revenue, but if we ever do it, it won't be for that reason. It would be just because the fan experience is demanding it because you know it's, it's happening in other college stadiums around the country. How are you approaching the legalization of gambling? Well, gambling has always been a concern. Since I got involved in this business 30 years ago, it's something I remember as a student athlete, you know, sitting in front of the, the opening meeting and being talked to about, you know, don't do this and don't tell people about injuries and, and don't be involved in pools, and whether it's your sport or another sport. So even when I was a student athlete, it was, it was a top of mind awareness. The difference now is that it used to be just people who were willing to break the law that were involved in it. Now, it, you know, the average person uh, doesn't have to break the law and will have access to it at some point. You know, the state of Iowa doesn't yet have that. Uh, but if it ever does become in Iowa, or it's more often, more available around the country. So it's just going to be a finer uh, tuned educational process, but we've been concerned about it forever. The, the injury report is something we're trying to figure out as a country. Uh, you know, in college football, there's no standard of how you have to report your injuries. In the NFL, there is feels like we're moving closer towards some sort of uh, common ground. The thing we have to be more aware of is uh, federal regulations related to student-athlete privacy. So we just have to figure out where to land, competitive, uh, the student-athlete's well-being, and how we manage that. But it, it's something obviously high on our radar, uh, but it's always been a, a 
an area where we'd be concerned about. We're just going to have to amp up our, our education. Kirk is, the Kirk is the longest tenured coach in the country and know what he's going to do just at some point this season. You're also, you and he are also the longest tenured AD coach combo. How do you characterize your relationship with Kirk over the last what, 13 seasons? Well, you know, we have an employer-employee relationship. Um, I've, I've, as a student athlete and now in the business for 30 years, I've worked with dozens or hundreds of football coaches. I've said this before, uh, when we weren't having as much success, I've said it when uh, we've had great success in football. Uh, he, in my opinion, uh, if not the best, is one of the best coaches in the country. And I say that because, one, he's proven that he knows how to win. And you have to win at this level. But beyond that, uh, just great humility, great integrity, incredible passion, work ethic. He's the perfect fit uh, in our win, graduate, do it right. So heading into his 20th year, uh, I hope you know someday we're talking about his 25th or his 30th year. But right now, for 2018, I just, I've never seen him more focused, more energized, and more excited and ready to go. And thankfully, uh, you know, we share a great relationship. We meet regularly, we talk regularly. Uh, in addition to Having that working relationship, uh, I would consider him a, a friend as well. You said the state, we're here for football, so how do you, you obviously feel pretty strong? I like the fact that our foundation is rock solid. You know, there's going to be ups and downs in any endeavor, and in college sports especially, there's going to be ups and downs. But when you have a strong foundation of value, competitively, academically, ethically, you know that you have a chance. We, we have a chance every year when we when we come to this meeting to say we can compete for a championship. And that's one of the things I, I need and want in every program that Kirk has established that. It doesn't mean we're going to win the championship every year. In fact, it's, it's hard as heck to win a championship. But foundationally, I know we always have a chance. And I know our student athletes are going to graduate at a high rate. And I know that uh, off the field socially, uh, first of all, they're going to they're going to be a great group. Occasionally, when one makes a mistake, we're going to deal with it and, uh, and move forward. Another edition of the Hawkeye Swarm on 1700. Trent Condon alongside Dr. Stephen Fuller. Fuller Family Dentistry with two locations, Southwest Southwest Ninth Street and also Altoona is where you can find the locations. Doc so, Fuller, how are you things today? I don't have one on Southwest Ninth. I think it's so, East, East 29th. East and, 29th. And, I, I, <laughs> well, the TV is now covering up my, my cheat sheet oh, up yeah, there. Yeah. I need to get a new one over here <laughs> as we got a new uh, new television monitor I was like, Boy, I don't remember studio. going to Southwest Ninth. <laughs> But, you know, hey, I'll, I'll go there if there's patience there. Well, uh, Doc, you can find them at both those locations. Doc, as you uh, go through, we've been talking, we've gone through different seasons, some of our favorites there. The position group we're going to talk about today is running backs. Running backs, and, and there's been a whole lot of good ones. But, you know, at the NFL level, one thing that I kind of wonder why hasn't there been a successful, really successful running back from the University of Iowa throughout this long a time? You know, I that one is really, you know, you think it's a head-scratcher. I mean, you know, mm -hmm. I hate to use that phrase so much, but, uh, you know, you think of the names that have come out of University of Iowa and, and uh, you know, Cedric Shaw and and Tavian Banks, and mm -hmm. Sean Green, and, and you know, uh, Freddie Russell, and and our most recent one, Akram Wadley, yes. and, and things like that. I mean, you, you wonder uh, why 
you know, we haven't had a long-term NFL high pick for running back, but I don't know. I mean, it's hard to put your finger. I, I mean, you know, we got, you know, and you you want to name a, a favorite, and it's the one that won the game last week. You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's my favorite. Yeah. <laughs> the one that uh, just scored, uh, you know, a couple of nice bust outs and and uh, like Akram did in his uh Hawkeye debut up mm-hmm. at Northwestern and and things like that and and you think why isn't it I, I don't know I, I I don't have an answer for why we don't have more running backs in the NFL I I think a part of it is just how difficult it is to sustain in the NFL and especially anymore oh is the the career for Running backs, I mean, in general, it's incredibly. But then you take running backs and the kind of hits that they take into the equation. But you know, I, I thought that, you know, the one, the great unknown, and when we get into kind of our, our list here, is Jermel Lewis. If he would have been healthy, you talk about a perfect com- combination. Size, speed, cutting ability. He had absolute everything. If he wanted to sustain those knee injuries that he had at Iowa, how different it could have been for him because he, he's one that I continue to look at and just uh, I was amazed when he was healthy. We never got to see him completely healthy. Just how good he was. That's the great what if for me. Oh yeah, you know, and you look at Freddie Russell. I yep. mean, you know, speed and the agility. That Not a he ton had. of speed though. You know, he uh, was a little jitterbug. He was back a little then. jitterbug. He didn't and... have great breakaway speed. No, no. He had a great offensive line and his small stature between behind that huge offensive line. That was he could hide funny. behind him. He could. He could hide and and you know make those cuts. Yep. And yeah, he didn't have once he got into the uh, a breakaway, it, it it wasn't there. So the best Iowa running back all time, or at least of of your, we don't have to do Ferentz era, Hayden era, that that you have seen because we could go way back, and I'm sure there's some old timers out there that that'll bring some people up. But who's the best Hawkeye running back that you have seen? Well, you know, you you think of the baby bull, Owen Gill, and you think of Sean Green and, and Tavian Banks and Cedric Shaw and, and Liddell Betts. And it, it, it it's just how do you, you know, each one of them did their thing as we needed them, you know, the season that they were. Mm-hmm. And I would probably have to, you know, Sean Green, I he was such a jewel in the rough. I mean, mm-hmm. and he went on to do some really good things for for the Hawks. You know, he had, in 2008, 1,850 yards. Him at that level. If you're talking for a single season, obviously it's a single season record, but the way that he was playing that, you're putting that team on his back in the second half of the year, the victory against Penn State. If you're just talking about a single, not career, but a single season I don't think he can beat that one. There's been other very good seasons, and we've seen guys be able to pile up, and it's different today. You're talking about 12 games versus 10 or 11 that they played in the past, but what he did with that team that season, in its singular, that has to be the best. But how about best career then? And Cedric Shaw has the career record. I wonder if Tavian Banks, if he would have got more carries. Now, he was behind Cedric Shaw, who was couple years older than him if he would have had the same amount of carries over that four years because those last two years he was incredibly good too and with the breakaway speed that he had he's got to be way up there oh he you know he was a complete package Mm -hmm. i mean uh and he 
you know, with the tandem backs that the Hawks have usually have used, and and that might be part of why we don't get more NFL players is because we don't have a back in for every play. You know, mm-hmm. they'll substitute them in and out just to keep keep them fresh and their legs fresh. So we have them later in the season, and we hope that they don't get dinged up as much. But yeah, I mean, Tavian Banks and. How about Albert Young? Yeah, I there's mean, a good you one. Know, yeah, Albert Young. I mean, uh, and that was early in uh, uh, Ference's career. Uh, Albert Young. That would be what his sixth year that uh, Albert Young uh, came in, into Iowa City, and, and I mean, it's it's hard to really pinpoint one great one. Mm-hmm. I mean, in all honesty. Because uh, Green had the one year, he had, the and he one went on year. to have a nice NFL career and too. He had, and you know, and, and Liddell Betts, he had a nice, uh, he did NFL career. And, and, he, and you think of Liddell Betts, and I kind of mentioned that with Tavian, as he he was behind Cedric Shaw for those couple of years, and Cedric Shaw was awesome. And that Michigan State game still jumps out. Went out there, ran for two hundred and fifty plus, just running through Spartan defenders. But you know, if if we would have got to see Liddell Betts, he was in that transition period. The offensive line, the last year of Hayden and the first year of Kirk, those were terrible oh. offensive lines. And Liddell Betts, bless his soul, I mean, he, he'd fall forward for three when he probably shouldn't have had a gain. I mean, there, there were so many times where he made something happen just to make it positive when there was nothing there. Oh, there, and, you know, because the cupboard was bare. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, yep. and that's, you know, it, you know, Kirk Ferentz did a total rebuilding program. I mm-hmm. mean, you know, it wasn't as down as uh, when Hayden came to town, but uh, the cupboard wasn't as uh, full as uh, we'd like to think it was. And you're right. I mean, what would have happened if we would have had Liddell Betts behind, you know, the 2002 line? Right, because I mean, as good as Fred Russell was, Liddell Betts was even oh, better. and he'd punish you. Yeah, and the the one thing that I, I was always so disappointed for Liddell Betts is – they finally, in his senior year, make a bowl game. They make it in 2001 to the Alamo Bowl, and he can't play because of an injury. Yep. I mean, that, that's, that was a, a tough one, and I'm sure for him to handle, too, after what he'd gone through during his four years. So one other. All right, we've gone through. Tavian Banks has the all-time record for single game, yep. the 314 against Tulsa, where he was unbelievable in that one. Number two on the list, though, you got to help me out here, Eddie Podolak. He ran for, what was it, 286 against Northwestern. Now, those Northwestern teams were terrible, but still, help me out here. I never obviously got to see Ed Podolak play. Help me along. I never got to see Eddie Podolak except uh, reminiscent of when he was in uh, Kansas City. Kansas City, yeah. Back in 1968, I was only seven years old, and I wasn't wasn't heading down to Iowa City. (laughs) Your your dad never took you to see Ed Podolak play? Well, we were a little young for uh, heading down to Iowa City uh, in 1968. Uh, I didn't really start uh, going down there until I was, uh, let's see, uh, about fifth grade, which okay. would make you about 10, 11 years old. And so just a couple years, you missed that. Yeah, one. I missed that and missed, missed uh, uh, Eddie Podlack. But uh, yeah, I mean, my gosh, how can you, you know, say anything bad about Ed? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, he could do it all. I mean, my gosh, he was a quarterback and he was a running back and, and had a great career down in uh, with the Kansas City Chiefs. He did. There's no doubt. A couple other names. One of my favorites growing up, you mentioned Owen Gill, which was a little bit before my memory. Don't remember anything there. But uh, one of my favorite players after Ronnie Harmon and 
Well, I heard my grandpa complain about Ronnie Harmon after the Rose Bowl enough where I couldn't have him on the top of my list. But <laughs> I love Tony Stewart. He was a guy that was just always seemed to be moving forward. I, I He was probably one of my favorite Hawkeyes early as I became a Hawkeye fan, Tony Stewart. Tony Stewart was good. I mean, uh, nothing wrong with Tony Stewart. Uh, he finished his career with uh, 2,562 yards, and Owen Gill was just right behind him at 2556. Mm-hmm. And the nice thing about the baby bull was if he got out, he he would punish you. Oh, yeah. And he once he got that body moving, you know, down the field, uh you couldn't stop him. I mean, and it it really kind of surprises me that Owen Gill didn't have a NFL career because yeah. you know, he you had to hit him low. And if you hit him too low, He'd just go right over the top of you, and he he wouldn't he would look to punish the defensive backs if they got in his way. He'd just drop that shoulder and boom, you know. And uh, you know what a what a total package you know that Hayden had there. And uh, well, injuries I'm sure played a part of that here. He's only in the league for a couple of rounds, but he was a second round pick. I mean this this was a guy that had big expectations, but again we get into running backs and. A lot of wear and tear by a lot of times by the time you get to the NFL. Well, yeah, he had four good years at the University mm-hmm. of Iowa, and, and uh, I don't think he really had a real good offensive line, but uh, he made those holes bigger when he uh, hit it. Sure. Because he, he, I'm not sure uh, what his uh, size and weight were, but, uh, you know, he, uh, he could do it. And it was exciting to watch the baby bull. Well, a fun look back at running backs today here with Dr. Stephen Fuller on the Hawkeye Swarm on 1700 KBGG, presented by Fuller Family Dentistry and also the Iowa Mission of Mercy. Doc, uh, tell us a little bit about the event coming up here this fall. Well, it's in Sioux City, and uh, basically, you know, if you show up at Sioux City, you, uh, you go and... They'll do free dental work, uh, cleanings, extractions. Uh, uh, they won't do the extensive work of crowns and bridges and things like that. It's for fillings, and and, uh, and they'll have uh, uh, dentists up there that will see pediatric patients, and, and it's all free. All you have to do is show up, and you know if, if you feel like it, it would be great to help donate to fund this thing because it takes about three to $400,000 uh, to put this on wow. uh, every year because, you know, the dentists are doing their part, the hygienists, the dental assistants, that's all free. But, you know, there's there's supplies, there's rent mm-hmm. and things like that. And every little bit helps. And all they got to do is uh, write a check to the uh, Iowa Dental Foundation. And uh, it'd be nice if uh, they put a note Hawkeye yep. Swarm, and that yep. way uh, they know that uh, we, we're trying to help them out. That's a good call there. You can find more information on the Iowa Dental Association website, iowadental.org. The Iowa Mission of Mercy coming up October 5th and 6th in Sioux City this year. And I saw 2019 making its way back over Iowa City area in Coralville. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly where we'll be Um I don't know if they'll have that new uh, Fieldhouse Arena done by then, um, but that that will be a great site over mm-hmm. in the Iowa City area. And uh, I don't know if we have a date n- nailed down yet or not. May 2nd through the 4th. Oh, that, we're moving it in, 
Yeah. Well, and, and no, that's that's actually check that. That is uh, something different. I was going to say. Yeah. I was. I ahead think of that's myself. our state convention in it, May. That is the state convention. Uh, but uh, you know, I've been. There. Am I invited to that? Well, yeah, no, you can no, come. Nobody on down. wants me there. Nobody wants me there. <laughs> <laughs> come on down. But uh, uh, you know, if it's in Coralville, you know, and I've often wondered why we don't do a spring one instead uh-huh. of a fall. But you know, I'm not on that board. Well, someday, someday, someday. Doc. someday. That's Dr. Stephen Fuller. This is the Hawkeye Swarm on 1700 KBGG.